Did you see who opened this door? I wonder what's behind it. It's kind of scary, wasn't it? But it's open, right? Ask 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's open. So, we've uncovered these things that, that get in our way throughout this Lenten journey. But I would um, argue that there is one barrier that keeps us from doing all three, and especially knocking. And this one barrier to God's provision in our own life, well, it's ourselves. Sir Edmund Hillary was one of the gentlemen who got to the top of Mount Everest, one of the first two individuals who got there. And a quote that he says is that it is not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. That's right. I'm saying we're our own biggest barrier. I am my own biggest barrier. You are your own biggest barrier. And this is because of one simple emotion or feeling that sometimes that we feel. It's something that keeps us from knocking with persistence. And this emotion, this emotion that we feel over and over, that I know I'm guilty of, is the emotion of fear. Last week I did some crowdsourcing on my Facebook page and I asked folks what their biggest childhood fear was and if the fear changed from the time that they were a child to when they were an adult, what their biggest fear was as an adult. As you can imagine, I got a whole bunch of different feedback. I did learn that my fear of spiders is not so uncommon. But I also learned a few other things. As I asked folks privately, where did that fear come up in your life that you actually had to face it? Was there a time that you had to face that fear? And what happened? What truth did you find from facing that fear? And what I learned was that the fear of spiders or the fear of someone losing someone that they cared about or the fear of being caught in a fire or the fear of being left somewhere really dealt with the fear of failure. Failing to see the giant bunch of spiders before you step into them. A fear of not knowing that a fire had started before the house was engulfed in flames. A fear of not making the right decision and contemplating it over and over again. The fear of someone getting a phone call and hearing that someone you love was in trouble. Missing that phone call was that fear of failure. But let me ask you another question. Other than what you are afraid of, how many times have you not done something in life because of fear? Or maybe it's you keep doing something 
the same way because of a fear. How many of you, when you leave your house, you have to check the lights five times? And if you don't, you have to go back in and check the lights five times. Just to make sure they're all off. It's a fear of leaving them on. It's a simple fear. Might be OCD as well. But it's a fear. It is a fear. Um, I don't know if any of you know the Big Bang Theory with Sheldon. Um, he is a scientist, highly intelligent, but before he goes through any door, he has to knock three times. Penny, penny, penny. He does that because of a fear. He does it because he fears to walk in and see something he doesn't want to see. But he cannot go through a door without knocking three times. That is something that he does over and over. As a grace-filled perfectionist, I am guilty of the fear of failure. But this is what I have learned. Fear is not of God. Because God is love. And fear is exactly the opposite of love. The Bible tells us this in 1 John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made of perfect love. Love is truth. Love is what sets fear aside. One of the versions that I like the best of this um, is the message version because it really explains what happens when we understand how fear can come into our lives and be a barrier. It says, there is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. See, fear paralyzes us. It cripples us. It keeps us doing something over and over that we don't necessarily need to do. Or it keeps us from doing things. It makes us so afraid. I remember when I was little, um, I, I find there's still an issue I have. <laughs> But I, I had a fear of heights. I would have a reoccurring dream of um, falling from a high structure. No reason for it, really. So I took the fear under control. And I said, okay, I'm going to go across these monkey bars. Well, God said not quite yet. Because I hit the ground and broke my arm. <laughs> but I learned that I wasn't going to die. He broke my arm. <laughs> I, and I got back up. And I tried again. The next summer, because it was during the summer, and I had all the cats all summer long. But I, I learned that I wasn't quite ready yet, but I could get through it. I could have never learned how to go across the monkey bars, and now be a 30-something and not be able to go across the monkey bars. That sounds kind of ludicrous. But I can't say I did. And I can't. I still don't know that I want to do it today. My bones are probably not as agile as they were when I was when I was little. 
But you see, if we let fear take over our life, it paralyzes us. It paralyzes us to the point that we can't passionately pursue the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbors so that we're able, or not able then, to fulfill the great commission. How many of you have not prayed because you're fearful of the answer? How many of you have not invited a friend to join you in service or at an event to help because you are fearful of their rejection? How many of you have um, maybe not talked to the homeless man at the corner at Walmart because you're fearful of what might come with that? The song this morning during our uh, greeting time was a song that's not three times about that great thing. But it was written about a man who was upstairs and a woman who was downstairs. And but the, he liked this woman. He had a crush on the lady below him. But she didn't know. She had no idea. And here he is saying this song, not three times of the yes, and then five, two times of it's a no. Well, how is she ever going to know what she's supposed to do? I would venture to say that uh, he was fearful of a rejection. He was fearful. And I can remember one of the um, very first intentional conversations I've had with a friend about inviting them to something. It was a co-worker, and um, she had asked me some fake questions, and there was this women's retreat coming up. Oh, she would really like this. I know she would. She deserves to be away and to be pampered a little bit and to hear how much she is loved, not just from me, but from other women as well. But I was afraid. I was afraid she was going to think I was nuts. I was afraid she'd tell me no. I was afraid that she'd twist things around and end up going and then say that I made her go. I, you know, that would not have been a good situation. I was afraid. I went back and forth and thought about this. I thought, she knows it's happening. I don't have to invite her. She knows I'm going to be there. And she knows all these things. You know, you're supposed to invite her. If I had told God no, I would have missed the opportunity to watch her come to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior. She was seeking before I asked her to go. But as we attended that women's retreat, I saw barriers being knocked down that she had put up. And I saw her return to her Heavenly Father. And that was an opportunity that I'm thankful I did not pass up. I'm thankful I overcame that barrier and that fear to experience that with her. Our scripture lesson today is a good example of individuals who were knocking. Knocking without fear. The story begins just days from the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. With Palm Sunday next Sunday, I think that's kind of suiting for today. 
And, and the Gospels tell us that this story was so important that it's not only in the book of Matthew, it's also in the book of Mark and Luke. So this is a pretty important story to Jesus. What we know is that there are two men that were sitting alongside the road, and these two men were blind. They couldn't see. So they couldn't see the people who were gathering about and, and making a commotion, but they, they were like, hey, what's going on? And someone told them, well, Jesus is going to pass by. Well, so these two blind men, they were seeking. They had heard about Jesus, and they wanted to get to where they could be known by Jesus. So they went to the side of the road, and, and they said, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd tried to get them to be quiet. The crowd tried to stop them. They didn't let that barrier. They didn't let the fear of the crowd telling them to stop make them stop. They asked, and they said again, Lord, have mercy on us. Now, I'm not sure if Jesus stopped because he heard the men crying, Lord, have mercy on us, or if he stopped because he heard people telling them to be quiet. But Jesus stopped. He stopped. He had compassion on them, and they then see. The blind were able to see. And the men didn't stop there. They then stood up, and they followed Jesus. The men didn't allow their blindness to get in their way. They didn't allow blindness to keep them from moving towards Jesus. They didn't allow the fear of the crowd. I mean, they're blind. They don't know what the crowd has in their hands. They continued seeking God. And from this, what we can see is that when we allow fear to control our life movements, it means we're trying to control it instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to control it. So in order to fully get out of our own way, in order to allow fear to not defeat love, there's some things we have to do. First, you can't move. You can't knock without movement. You can't knock without movement. In order for me to knock on this door, I first have to move to the door, and I have to move my hand. You can't knock without movement. Sometimes that means it's continuous. Sweet hour of prayer. It wasn't sweet seconds of prayer. It wasn't just a second and done. It's not just sweet minute of prayer. It's an hour. That's a long time, really. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge amount of time, but to have a sweet hour of prayer. Is continuously talking to God. And that takes movement. It takes movement in our posture to continuously knock on Jesus' door. 
And you know, sometimes this means that we're sitting in a waiting room. Sometimes it means, okay, God, what, what, what is it? What do you want me to do next? Okay, God, can, will you please heal me of this? And sometimes you don't have an answer. So maybe you got to knock again. Constantly be seeking means you're constantly knocking. The second thing is that when you knock on the door, you have to expect a response. You have to expect a response. We have to stand at the door of God and expect Him to show up. I have a couple of blogging friends who um, tell stories all the time online. And there was a couple of weeks ago, I had a story that, that made me, reminded me of knocking. It reminded me of the importance of expecting a response. Um, this is uh, my friend B and her husband Adam. They live in North Carolina. And she wrote this a couple of weeks ago, just around her daughter's birthday. She said, last year my daughter began praying feverishly for a cat for her birthday. I can relate to that because my niece and nephew prayed for cats for years. You see, my daughter, she prayed day and night. She trusted God would provide a bundle of love. No matter how many times we tried to explain to her, honey, God just doesn't work like that sometimes. You don't always get what you want, and sometimes God's answer is no. Well, she would have nothing to do with that. I know he hears me, Mommy, she said. So I began to bark with my husband Adam. I pleaded because to have her heart be broken on her birthday was just nothing I could, I could bear. But he stood firm. There would be no cat at the birthday present. The night before my daughter's birthday, she prayed one last time, my stomach tightened. Listening to her earnest prayers, I hoped she'd be okay with the realization and the letdown the next morning. Well, the next morning came, and Adam and I shot from our beds to find our daughter standing at the door, screaming through the window, A cat! A cat! A cat for my birthday! Pouncing through the door to pick up her gift, my husband looked at me with that look of, um, what'd you do? <laughs> I had no idea what's happening. I was And I didn't. But somehow, this is what ended up on my back porch. Well, it was a cat. God. 
did get returned safely to her home, but still she called it a present. And then she started praying for this year. <laughs> she started praying as soon as her birthday was over that she would have snow for her birthday next year. Snow. Now my friend says that she, she knows it's her fault because she talks to her children about growing up in Ohio and, and having fun sliding down hills and ice skating on ponds. So she knows that it's her fault she's praying for snow. But snow, this little girl prays for snow every day. And so again they talked about how God does not always give us what we pray for. It's not always a yes. Honey, you know we live in North Carolina, and you know it doesn't snow in North Carolina here, honey. So snow on your birthday is probably not going to happen. Your birthday's in March. Well, he, she kept praying, and she said, Mom, I don't care if he hears me. So they went to bed the night before her birthday. Rain again for snow, and the next morning they woke up very much like the same as they did the year before, with blood-curling screams of their daughter screaming, and there it was. And she said she wouldn't have believed it if she hadn't seen it with her own eyes. But in March, in North Carolina, there was snow. There was snow on the ground. Snow. Honored out on her day, just as she had asked. Snow. You see, she didn't pray expecting Jesus to ignore her. She had a childlike faith. And she prayed with every ounce of her being that God would answer her. Now, we all have had fervent prayers that we have prayed over and over and over. We know they don't always end with yes. But I think this little girl um, tells us something. Even when the cat was not really her birthday present, she still considered it a gift from God. Her response to the no was still a worshipful response. So this is the, the, the final thing that we have to do to fully overcome that obstacle of fear. She could have been afraid not to pray for snow the next week here because she got a no. But her response to that no was to be worshipful. Thank you, God, for my gift. I might have to only visit it in the neighbor's house, but there it was, a gift from you on my birthday. The men in the story, the blind men, Jesus didn't answer the first time. They said, Lord, have mercy on me. They asked again. They expected a response. And it was, Lord, have mercy on me. They knew Jesus was Lord. It was a worshipful response as they waited for his answer. Now, we know sometimes it's a no. So how can you be worshipful when it's a no? How can you move from a place of, Lord, I expect you to answer, 
and yet praise Him with a no. I remember the first really hard no I got from God. It was in March, actually. It was a March day that I uh, woke, was awakened by a helicopter that was flying over our house. And I woke up, which was kind of bizarre, and then the phone rang, and then my dad left, and then I learned that the helicopter was carrying my grandfather. My grandfather, who just the night before, gave me a kiss on the forehead as he left his house, and he seemed perfectly fine. From that moment, I began to plead, because I knew the lifelike helicopter going to Columbus from Nelsonville was not a good sign. And I begged, and I pleaded with God, let him be okay. I pleaded with my parents to let me go to Riverside, because if it was me in the hospital, I knew that he would be by my side. Well, I convinced my parents to give me a yes. And I then spent the next day, it seemed like an eternity, walking the halls of Riverside because they wouldn't let me go in and see him. I prayed in the library. I prayed in the chapel. I prayed in the ICU waiting room. God, let me see him one more time. What on earth will we ever do without him? Who will sing, you are my sunshine to me? It was about five o'clock and we walked into the room, my cousin and I, we hadn't seen him all day. And my dad and my mom were on one side, my grandma and my aunt were on the other side. My uncle came and took my cousin and I stood right in the middle of the room. And then the beating started. It was that long, and I knew what was happening. I knew that it was enough. Nobody prepared me for that enough. And I got angry with God. But even as I sat in my room feeling completely alone, I could feel his presence sit me in a chair. And God, the nurse that did it. I'm pretty sure I would have ended up on the ground. But I was angry with God. And it took me a long time to have a worshipful response to that no. It took me a long time to see how that no was actually a gift. When my grandmother got sick, I began to see how much of a gift that no was. No way that my grandmother could have survived watching my grandmother deteriorate to dementia. No way he would have been able to sustain that. It was a gift. It was a gift, and it was a legacy that he left. Because from then on, I had to continue to knock. I had to stand back up, and I had to continue to knock. If I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. Our no's don't always mean the end, but how we respond to them are important. How we respond helps the Holy Spirit to continue to move in our lives. 
And when the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, that is when love can take the place of fear. So today I want to invite you to respond to the message a couple of different ways. You have your Connect card in front of you. And uh, make sure the front of it is turned out. But I think that there are some, some things that God has laid on your heart about fears today. And there are three ways that I'm going to invite you to respond. You can choose one of them, two of them, all of them, as a way to respond. Because this is what I know. You can't even begin to do anything else with fear until you name it. A lot of times we try to control our fear and control the situation, and what ends up happening is fear just comes in even more until we name it. And part of naming it is, is also handing it over. Handing it over to God. Telling somebody else of your fear so that they can keep you accountable and remind you of the truths that are in your life. The second way I invite you to respond today is uh, number two. Journal the goodness God has brought into your life. You see, if, if you don't put fear aside and put it in its place and actually choose that worshipful response, choose to look at truths, then fear creeps back in. God's promise in our life is to always be there. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. That is the truth. But it's really easy to forget that fear is controlling our life. So take some time this week and thank God. Have a worshipful response to when, wherever you are. Find the goodness. And finally, if you really want to test the waters of faith this week, see how well you're conquering your fear by trying something new. I fully believe that if God doesn't give you a God-sized dream that scares you a little bit, then it's not a dream. It is a God. It's going to scare you a little, but try something new. Maybe maybe there's somebody uh, in your neighborhood that he's been kind of nudging you to invite. That could be scary. Maybe this is the week you need to invite them. Maybe it's trying a new spiritual discipline. Maybe it's just learning to paint. Maybe that's something that you've always wanted to do, and you've always thought, well, I can't do that. Maybe by you learning something new, he's going to show you new goodness in your life. You know, Eugel's announcement this morning is something new. It is scary. <laughs> but she's going to allow God's goodness to be present in the truth in her life. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we come to you this morning as broken people. But we are not just people, Lord. We are your children. You created us. You give us our hopes and our dreams. 
Lord, allow us to see your goodness, your mercy, and your provision in our life. Lord, we give you our fears just as we give you our dreams. 